Our scripture reading today is one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. First one is from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9, and 12, 9 through 12. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Then from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that follow shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so have any of you ever been um, completely clueless? Like, in a moment in your life where you were, I mean, beyond having any idea of what you were doing. I mean, just absolutely clueless. Uh, there was this time for me when I was in college, and I needed, I needed one more math credit. So I had taken as many, uh, I'd gotten in a degree plan, had as few as math as possible. That was the goal. But I still needed one more, and, and so, you know, math was never really my thing. I did okay at it, but, um, but it wasn't my thing. And, and A&M, like, it's famous for math classes. Like, it's an engineering s- school. That's what it is. And um, so I need one more credit. But I had heard that there was this class. Somebody told me that there was this, this class called Logic. Um, and it counted as a math credit. And it would be really easy. And, and man, I got lied to hard. Um, and so I walk into this class most classes at A&M are huge, and there was like 300 people in this auditorium, and, and uh, you know, you walk in, and you're like, I don't know, where do you sit? And there was like maybe 
a hundred guys up front that obviously looked like they knew what they were doing. And they were like, ready. And then there was like 200 of us who had heard this was an easy math class. And we we're all looking at each other and sitting in the back, right? And, and so let me just stop and ask, is there anybody who has taken logic as a math course before? Is there anybody? Okay, there's like four of you. I'm, okay, the four of them know what I'm talking about. It's, it's like nothing I'd ever seen before, but it's a totally brand new concept. So it's like, basically logic is doing like math proofs. If you guys like in like, what is that, calculus, the, the proofs, or in geometry, the proofs where you had to like prove that something is a something and all that. If you remember any of that from a long time ago, that's kind of what logic is. It's like, it's like but I'm like, oh, it's like arguing. It's not. It's, it's so different. And so um, it's, it's like... It's like a geometry proof, but without all the shapes. And so, um, and I'm going to show you a picture of it here in just a minute. But um, anyway, so this professor just like walks in and just starts going. Like the kind, you've had this professor, right? They don't, welcome to my class. I'm so glad to, no, he just, he's just blazing through this thing on the, on the board that might as well have just been hieroglyphics. Like if it was in Chinese, it wouldn't have mattered. I, I have no idea what it was. Like, and he's just putting this thing up there. And, like, the guys up at the front are taking notes. Like, they have totally, they're with him already. And, and then there's, like, 200 of us that have no clue what's going on. And I'm, like, having a heart attack. So can we get a picture? That's kind of what it looked like. If, if yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, the guy's just scribbling this stuff. I'm like, why are the letters upside down? What is going on here? This doesn't make any sense. So, so like, I mean, we're, like, checking our schedules. I'm like, am I in the right room? Is this, what, am, what is this? I'm not sure if this is a foreign language. Like, wh- where are we? And, and so, fi- I mean, he's just going. And so, finally, this, this one brave girl in the back raises her hand. And it take, goes for a while because he's not even looking. And she just has her hand up. And he kind of ignores her. And then finally, you know, another minute maybe goes by. She still has her hand up. And he stops. And she just belts out in the bravest voice ever. I'm so confused. Am I supposed to know how to do this? And, and I have no idea what you're even doing. Like, we have no idea what you're doing. And you could just feel in the room like, I mean, we all just kind of went, oh, okay, we're not the only one. Like the 200 bozos are like, like, yeah, what she said, right? We're all with her. And like her courage to stop him saved us because he would have just kept going. And he, like, I don't know if it was a test or what, but so finally he's like, okay, we got to start over from scratch. Like, here's the first thing. I mean, we had no idea what was going on. Now, I, I was under the impression at this point in my career, I was like my senior semester, I still had this, like, C's and D's get degrees in math. That's where I was in this moment. Like, I just needed, and I did pass the class, and I even got to where I could kind of enjoy that. Um, I couldn't teach it to anybody today. I don't still know what those things, why they're upside down. But, um, but that girl saved us because we would have just all been lost the whole time if she hadn't have done that. But have you ever been in that kind of place, like in a meeting or a class or a discussion, and you're like, I don't even know what they're talking about. I'm not sure the topic. What is going on here? Well, the disciples are going to be that way in our passage this morning. 
Um, and good old Thomas, who we kind of can make fun of, but thankfully Thomas is there to ask the good questions to help the rest of us figure out what's happening, just like that girl did in my class. They're all watching. Thomas, Thomas ask him. We don't know what he's talking, what he's talking about. That's what's happening in this moment. And Jesus is going to give the most profound answer. Um, his answer is going to change everything. So let's pray together as we begin our time. Father, we need your wisdom, your guidance in our lives and everything that we do and, and in this morning as well. Father, as we look at your word, would you enlighten us? Would you see how our lives change because of Jesus and what he says to us? Guide us in this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in John chapter 14. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And and so because it is Palm Sunday, I want to give a little context uh, to that story and see how it applies to our passage for this morning. Uh, we are, we are in this series called uh, I Am. Right? We've been looking at these I Am statements of Jesus in the book of John. There's seven of them. This is the sixth of them. Um, in the Old Testament, there, there, there became a pattern where we see uh, people who have humility. They're the, they're the people who become the leaders of Israel. And, and, and they are always being compared to people who show pride, and, and that pride is a, a thing that leads to their, their downfall. And I want you to think of like Saul and David, right? Saul, his pride was the thing that got in the way, but yet here was this shepherd, David, who, who showed humility, and he was the one who would be king. And it's interesting when you get to the, the story of his son Solomon, if you remember that story, he's got two other brothers who try to be king over him. Solomon has been told that he's going to be the king, but yet his other brothers think they have a better claim to the throne. And, and, and it kind of becomes this, this soap opera drama in, in Israel of who's going to be the king. He's got these older brothers. And in both of the stories of the downfall of the brothers, they're depicted on horses, like these war horses. Remember the one gets caught? right, with his hair in the tree, and he's riding the horse. He's this conquering hero on a horse. And then, yet, Solomon, he, he's depicted with humility. He's going to come riding in on, on some would say, a, a mule or, or a donkey. That's, that's how Solomon comes in. Instead of this charging war horse, he comes in and the, uh, it has this image of humility on a, on a donkey. His ascension to the throne was done the right way. And so donkeys become linked with kingship in the Old Testament. 
And then there's this passage that we saw just a minute ago in Zechariah where um, the, the, the donkey becomes linked to the, the, the rightful heir of David, the Messiah. Humility and service. And so for Jesus, when he knows the time has come for, to carry out this saving work he's come to do, and he, he wants to show the people who he is without a doubt, he's going to send the message of who he is. He is divine. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah, and he has come to claim his rightful throne. There is no other way to interpret the actions of Jesus as he comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey than this. The Messiah has come, and the people get the message. They see him doing this, and they're over-the-top excited. They're thrilled. Finally, what we've been waiting for, he's making this claim. We know he's been doing some miracles. Whatever, here he comes. He's going to be the Messiah. But shortly after riding in on this donkey, he's going to tell the crowd that he's come to die. And, and, and there, there's this weird exchange between Jesus and the people in John chapter 12. And, and the crowd basically says, wait, Jesus, you're saying you've come to die. But, but what we know about the Messiah is that he's supposed to be on the throne forever. So this doesn't make sense. How can you be the Messiah on the throne forever if you're saying, you're, if you're saying you've come to die? And so by the time that we get to our passage in John 14... Um, Jesus has offended everyone, and, and people don't believe in him anymore. And so that's why this crowd goes from throwing their coats on the ground and palms waving and saying he's the Messiah to crucify him in just a few chapters, in just the span of a week, because he says, I've come to die. And they don't understand how the Messiah could be doing that. And so this passage we just read in John 14 is, is during the time of, of the Last Supper. And if you've ever had an awkward, uncomfortable, bad dinner with friends and family, you know, if you've ever been to somebody's dinner party and it didn't go very well, multiply it by, by a lot. And that's what we have in this, this Last Supper. It is, it, is a, it is not going well. I'll just say it like that. Right? Jesus starts by totally messing with their heads. They come in, and, and he's going to take on the role of a servant. He's going to wash their feet, and they're totally thrown off by this. This, this doesn't make any sense, Jesus. And then, and then they go to, to have dinner, and they, they sit down, and it, it gets even worse because Jesus says, hey, one of you is a traitor. One of you is going to betray me. And, and that, nobody gets that, but that's super weird. And then it keeps going, and, and Jesus tells them, hey, I'm, I'm about to die. I'm about to die in, in, in John chapter 13. And, and, and Peter says, because Peter's this guy, he says, look, I'm not going to allow that to happen. I love you too much. I will not allow you to be killed, Jesus. I'll be right by your side. I'll defend you to the death. <laughs> and, and it gets worse. Jesus basically calls him a coward and says, hey, look, you're going to even deny me three times. So, so it's not going well. And because the, they've put all their hopes and trust in this man, and he now says, hey, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. You can imagine how upset they would be. They're sad. They're confused. And that's how the end of, of John chapter 13 uh, finishes. Upset, confused disciples. 
And our, and our passage starts immediately in, let not your hearts be troubled. Right? He jumps straight into it. Let not your hearts be troubled. The guys are devastated, and Jesus knows it. Everything has changed in their minds. In just a short time, it's all changed. They've just heard their leader is going to die. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So this is a strange phrase, and, and even the way that it's put together um, is, is really weird in, in its structure. But basically, Jesus is telling them, hey, look, you already have faith in God. Believe in me in the same way. Believe in me in the same way. Verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So, so now, f- for those of us who are familiar with the King James Version of this passage, it's important to clarify just, just one little thing here. Um, in the King James, they decided to translate that word as mansions because there was, they got it from the, uh, there's a Latin, what they call the Vulgate translation, and they use the word mansions, basically. And, but it doesn't mean what they thought it means. We'll just, I'm bad at these language lessons. Um, it doesn't mean mansion. That's not what it meant. But they translated it as mansions. And so you and I have read it our whole lives of, there's a mansion in the sky with my name on it. That's, that's what's happening, right? That's really not the word. That's really not the right translation of this. Because um, it, gave, it gave the idea that like Jesus is like a, going to construct us some mansions, and that's what he's doing in his, in his time right now, right? And then we're going to have these, these giant houses in eternity. Now, we don't know the exact setup of, of, of what that will look like, right? Of, of exactly where we will live. We don't know. There's, there's some interesting things to think about. But what we do know is this. The idea in this passage that Jesus is trying to give us is that um, he is making a room for us. There is a place for you. I think that's even more beautiful than somebody's building me a mansion. He says, you're going to be with me. There is room for you. You belong here. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is doing the work of securing our belonging. That's what Jesus is doing. I I love the idea. The Jewish understanding of a house... um, at this time would have been like a, a, a dwelling that um, almost was kind of, it, it grew, it kind of kept extending, and it almost got circular in shape. And, and the reason they would do that is uh, the family all lived together. And so if somebody moved, they got married, well, hey, just add on to the house. Just add on to the house. Just keep adding on. There's, there's room for you. And it was always around. There was a courtyard in the middle. And so one one. Um, one scholar says we should imagine it as, as this giant circular house with Jesus as the courtyard. He's the thing that keeps us all together. He's the centerpiece. He's the place where we all go to have gathering and belonging in the courtyard of Jesus. Maybe that's a better way for us to think of it. Maybe we just have a little apartment. I'm kidding. I don't know what it looks like. Jesus is the center, and that's the big idea. I don't know. I don't know if we'll have a tent or a teepee, but we will be with Jesus in God's home, and he's made room for us. You belong there. What a beautiful idea that is. It's a place where we'll truly feel like home. Nowhere nowhere feels like home except what this will feel like. 
this will be the home we've always waited for. What an amazing thing. And so then we get to verse 3, and it's this amazing promise that Jesus will return. And it's, it's the, the reason he says they can be comforted and not be troubled, because he says, I'm coming back. I'm coming back, and I'm going to take you with me. So he says, don't be afraid. Be comforted. I will return. I'm coming back for you. And then it gets interesting. He says, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas, good old Thomas says, Lord, we do not even know where you're going. How can we know the way? So it's important for us to recognize in this moment that the disciples are absolutely clueless. They've been with him for three years. They've heard him talking just in the last few days about all of this, and they don't get it. They, they are absolutely clueless. Just like, just like me in that college class. Jesus, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? See, they still had in their minds that, that, that Jesus would come and he was going to, um, you know, come and claim the temple as his own. He was going to overthrow, you know, the, the Romans. He would sit on an actual throne there on the Temple Mount. That's what they were expecting him to come do. And so as he comes in on this Palm Sunday to, to you know, this triumphal entry, it's here he comes, he's about to take the throne. He will be the king. The Romans will be defeated. Everybody's excited. Israel is finally going to get their king back like we've been waiting for for hundreds of years. Jesus, why are you saying you're going to die? Where are you going? And, and they're really confused. And they have a right to be confused, if you don't mind my saying so. Just a few verses before this, this was John thirteen, thirty-three. He says, where I am going, you cannot come. So then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. So you can see the interactions that they're having about where are you going? What do you mean, where, what do you mean the way? I, where are you going? Peter says, I want to follow you. Jesus says that he can't come. None of this would make any sense to you either if you were standing there going, what, what are you even talking about, Jesus? How can we know the way, Jesus, if you won't tell us where you're going? Now, they should have already understood. You can go back and look at some other places. You could understand if you knew that the answer to the where are you going was the Father. He was going to the Father. And that's the answer. Where are you going? He's going to the Father. And so Jesus is going to kind of clear that up for them in his answer. And it's, it's one of the most well-known phrases, one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this part helps answer the question. Jesus is going to give them an extra answer that he is going to the Father. No one gets to the Father except through me. I'm the way to the Father. That's where I'm going. How do we get to the Father? Jesus says, I am the way. 
And, and the answer, to use the, to use the phrase the way, is, is a big deal here. Um, and, and it's kind of because uh, Jesus has been talking about this, this answer to, to Peter and to Thomas. Jesus is the way, the way to what? And, 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 and R.C. Sproul says that we should really see this verse as translated as like, I am the way because I am the truth and the life. The way is the big idea. It's the big point. The truth and the life are also huge, but they're kind of to help explain how he is the way. He is the way because he is the truth and the life. So I want you to go back in your minds to Genesis chapter 3. Scholars say that, that Adam and Eve had, had what they call the threefold privilege in the garden. Threefold privilege. They had direct access to the Father, number one. Their minds were full of truth, number two. Uh, and, and, and what that means is they weren't corrupted by evil. They weren't corrupted by sin. They were never deceived. They, they, they knew truth because they had access to the Father. That was the second. And then third, that they would live forever. Okay? The threefold privilege of being in the garden and when they sinned, they lost all three of those privileges. They no longer had direct communion with God, right? He got, they got kicked out of the garden. They were no longer in his presence. Their minds became deceived, and they no longer completely could understand the truth. And then third, they would die. They wouldn't live forever. They would die. So, so every sinner has this threefold need. We would call it reconciliation, revelation, and regeneration. How can we possibly meet those three needs that we would have to be with God? If you think back, what is the way? Right? Psalm 24 kind of asks the same question. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And what's the answer? Right? Who, can, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can come to the Father? And, and, and it answers, it says, only those who are pure. Right? Only those who are blameless. But we aren't that at all. So we can't ascend to the hill of the Lord. And so Jesus says, I am that way. I am the purity. I am the righteousness that you need. So by trusting in Jesus as the only way, we can approach the Father through the righteousness of Christ. So that's kind of that way piece, this, this revelation or truth. We see in Ephesians 4.18, it says, The humans are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. Where can we get truth? Where can we get enlightenment? If you remember in John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the truth that we have to have. Third, the life. You and I are all too familiar with death. It's everywhere around us. We see it all the time. We can't get away from it. We saw just a few weeks ago Jesus when he talked about this, and he said that he came that we might have life and, and have it in abundance. And we talked that it was both a quantity, meaning forever thing, but there's also a quality piece to that, that those in Christ should have hope and joy more than the average person. There should be a difference in, in our quality of life than those who don't know Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except 
through me. Many consider this to be the most exclusive statement of all time. And if it's not true, then these words are the most arrogant, narcissistic words in history. If they're not true. What if they are? What if they are true? They're still, still difficult, aren't they? Humanity hates this statement for two reasons. One, it limits any other way to God. It, it eliminates the ability for tolerance. We have to tell others that any other religion is a path to death and destruction. Jesus is the only way to the Father. That's a hard thing. But it's hard even for believers for another reason. And that is it eliminates the possibility that we have anything to be proud of. Anything that we can boast in. See, mankind hates that we can't save ourselves. We, we hate that we can't save ourselves. But again, if these words are true, then they are the words of life. You know, I was thinking about it. Imagine if you were dying and it was an emergency situation. And, and a surgeon runs in to you and says, hey, look, I've got to operate on you right now. And if I, if I do, you will live. If I operate on you, you will live. But if I don't, you will die within the hour. Would you say to them, how arrogant, how exclusive of you? Why don't you have a little more open-mindedness? Why don't you be a little more tolerant? Surgeon. I've heard great things about some vitamins I saw a commercial for the other day. Why, not, why, why couldn't those be an option? What if I'm, I really believe in those? Or, you know, my neighbor sells essential oils, and I really think that might be the way. Right? Why, let's, be, let's be open-minded here, surgeon, and not be quite so judgmental. No! You wouldn't say the, any of those things at all, would you? You would say, hey, open me up, doc. Save my life now. Cut away. Right? If that's the only way for life is that surgery, you're not going to hesitate or question it for a second. And that's what Jesus is saying. I am the way and the truth and the life. It's the only way. Anybody who wants it can have it. Anybody can be saved if they want it. You and I are dying. This life, this world, it leads to death. And the goal is eternal life with God. And Jesus is the way. He is the only way. As we heard in Zechariah, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. Let's pray. Jesus, we are dying you've told us that you will save us or you are the way for us you are the only source of truth you are the only source of life help us to trust in you and to know the certainty we don't have to be discouraged because you have promised to return and you will take us with you where you have prepared a place for us where we will belong that will be home like we've never experienced it in home for eternity. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.